Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew, it's episode 180. 180. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. And so every 10th episode, as we've done in the past, we're doing today, we're doing an Ask Andrew Anything. Ah. Which I always enjoy these because I love asking you the questions and completely stumping you. No. I've never actually stumped you before. Oh, no, you have. But others have done more <laughs> yeah, so, to stump me. You know me too well. <laughs> so people will email questions for you and that will I'll ask you on the podcast without giving you any type of preview of those questions and right. then you get to answer them off the top of your head and you always do a great job. Well, today we actually have a student here. Savannah is here and she's going to ask you some questions, but I want to give a little bit of background, not necessarily about Savannah, but why do we have Savannah in this room? asking you questions. But first, you should say hello. Say hello, Savannah. Hi. <laughs> okay. So Savannah is in one of your writing classes, and you gave the assignment to your students to write about a person in their lives. And this person had to be alive. And Savannah, out of her own volition, no one prompted her, decided that she wanted to write about you. And so... Oh, you we, didn't secretly suggest this I didn't. I wish I had so I could take credit for it. But no, she did this all on her own. And so she has several questions that she's going to ask you today. You ready, Savannah? I, I just, I wanted to ask you, Savannah, how old are you? Twelve. Twelve. And you have two younger brothers. Yep. And you've been in my class for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So we know each other. Pretty well. You're you're the quiet type, though. <laughs> she's quiet in class. She's, but she's quiet a good in writer. class. A very good writer. Yeah. Yeah. So to write about me, I guess you need some information. Mm -hmm. So ask me anything. Okay. Where were you born, and where did you grow up? I was born and grew up in Southern California, uh, the Los Angeles area, uh, close to the beaches. So I spent a lot of time at the beach and in boats on the water and swimming. And uh, it was a good, comfortable, pleasant childhood climate. The traffic down there wasn't as bad <laughs> when I was a kid as it is now. Have you ever been to California? No. No? Oh. If you go sometime, I'll tell you where to experience the worst traffic. <laughs> When were you born? April 19th, 1960. Okay. So how old am I now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 58. 58. Yeah. I'll tell you, when I was 12, I would have never believed I would ever be 58. <laughs> <laughs> where did you go to school as a child, and where did you go to college? Well, I went to public schools uh, in Palos Verdes, and Redondo Beach, um, pretty just 
normal schools. I had kind of an odd thing happen. When we moved to that area, they thought I was smart or something. So I went straight from first grade to third grade. So I skipped second grade. But that made me a year younger than everyone. And when I went into ninth grade, I was just so young and everybody was so old and I was so unhappy. I mean, really, unhappily, unhappy and miserable in high school. So <clears throat> I, I wanted to quit entirely, but there was no option for homeschooling or anything like that back then. So I actually went back to a different school and did eighth grade twice. And, and that was one year in a private school for eighth grade the second year. And then I went back to the public high school for ninth grade. And I was a year older, so it wasn't quite as horrible. I mean, it was horrible, but not quite as bad. <laughs> but that one year in eighth grade uh, at the private school was the best year of mm. my mm. school years, childhood. Because mm. I, I had better friends and it was smaller classes and we did – Fun things like square dancing <laughs> that I don't think you'd ever do in a public school. At least can't remember. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, after that, after I finished high school, I went to San Francisco State University for a year. And then I went to the University of California in Santa Cruz for a year, all in, also in California. Um, and, then, uh, and then I actually left college for a while, and then when I went back, I went to Japan, and I finished my higher education in Japan. Uh, what were some of your childhood hobbies? Childhood hobbies, well, it was uh, interesting because my father was very, very uh, taken with sailing. We had a boat, and he loved to sail and race boats. And we had a boat all through the years I was growing up, from when I was born till when, when I left home at 18. And so I spent a lot of time sailing and racing and cruising and learning all about boats and all that. While my mother was a music teacher, she taught piano and voice and so she got me playing the violin at a very young age. I think I was I think I was four and a half or five when I started playing the violin. And I continued to do that all the way up until high school. So I had uh, I was in a string quartet with uh, three other boys. That was good. I uh, played in the community orchestra, played in the orchestras at schools, played a little bit of fiddle music. So my hobbies were really the reflection of my parents, my father's love of sailing, my mother's love of music. And then as I got older and developed my own more independent tastes, I did less of sailing and less of playing music and more of uh, playing games, war games in particular. So we didn't have video games back then. They didn't exist. But we had board games. Uh, that you could you could fight out battles, kind of like Risk. Have you ever seen that game, Risk? I think so. Yeah, you, you try to take over the world with your armies, <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, I got very, very involved in war games, 
And uh, one of my first jobs was working in a store that sold war games. I was uh, 16. I got a car and I wanted to need to get a job so I could pay for the car insurance and the gas in the car. <laughs> and uh, I got that job working in a war game store. And it was kind of like perfect. I got paid to learn more about and talk to people about the thing that I was most interested in. So it was better than my very first job, which was McDonald's. <laughs> I didn't last too long at McDonald's. Did you like writing as a kid? I don't think so, uh, although I don't have a memory of hating it. It was funny. About 10 years ago, I got an email from one of my middle school teachers who somehow found me, I don't know, on Facebook or the website or something. And and she said, well, this other teacher, you were in her class, and she said you were the best social studies report writing student she ever had. <laughs> and I thought, wow, okay. I mean, it's, I, it's that read copy change. I get, yeah, the read copy change. I, I had that one down. And then uh, another funny thing that happened was my mother passed on a few years ago and I inherited uh, many of her papers and things. So I'm looking through her files and she had stored in her files a newsletter that I had written called uh, Decision and Conflict. It was a newsletter for war game players in our little area there and my friends. And I, I had tried to charge everyone $2, you know, wow. for a subscription to this newsletter that was, you know, keeping people up to date on where the games were happening and who won this and what was the new thing coming out. Because there were no websites back mm -hmm. then. So to get information, you had to... You had to print it and mail it. So uh, I guess I liked writing, but I never would have said, oh, I love writing or I want to write a book. Kind of, So I'm kind of in between. I didn't dislike it. I never really wanted to do it, but I must have been decent at it. How did you meet uh, Dr. Webster? Well, that's a good one. I was working at a very small school in Montana. And one of the teachers there was Canadian. And uh, I was uh, 30, 30 years old, I believe, 29 or 30, and uh, new. I was a very new teacher. And this Canadian lady, she said, oh, this is the greatest program. We have to all go up and learn this blended soundsite program of learning. It's the best way to teach reading and writing and phonics and spelling and it'll make our school a great school and she was very persuasive and so all of us the whole faculty of this school which was a small school so I think there's maybe 10 10 <laughs> teachers total we all drove oh and it was a long ways from Montana to northern Alberta like all day it was we drove all day and got there and stayed there for two weeks and there were two courses. One was a reading and writing and spelling for young children, like grade one and two. And then it was another course for teaching composition. And uh, so my wife, who also worked for that school at the time, she took the grade one, two teacher's training course, and I took the writing teacher's training course. 
and that was being taught by Dr. James B. Webster. Um, how has uh, Dr. Webster helped you? Well, uh, I learned that program from him during that 12-day course, and uh, I recognized that it was a very organized and effective way to teach writing, uh, similar in many ways to the way I had learned to teach violin from Dr. Suzuki in Japan, you know, a decade earlier. And I thought, yes, this is a talent education. This is a Suzuki method for English composition. So I came back from uh, Canada and I was teaching in that school and I used this structure and style method. Uh, and the students started to write better and and they were pleased and the parents were pleased and I was pleased and everything was going very well. Uh, but I thought, well, there's more to know. So the next summer I went back and took the same two-week course again because I thought, well, I think I could learn more about this. It was, you know, a lot. And uh, so I came back and then I started uh, – we started homeschooling at that point. So I started teaching some homeschool students. And then the third year, I, I called them up and said, I think I'd like to come back again. And uh, they said, well, if you're going to come back again, you might as well help us out. So you can join our staff and help teach this thing to other teachers. So from that year on, I kind of became Dr. Webster's assistant. And uh, he let me do one of the lectures, <laughs> the Unit 3. I was going to ask which sequence. one. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Unit 3 story sequence chart with the bat and the nightingale. Oh, that's, that was good. the story I picked. And uh, he gave me a very detailed critique of the good points of my lecture and the weak points of my lecture, which is his style. He, <laughs> he is always able to be encouraging, but he will always point out things you could have done better. And that's been like that ever since. Uh, and so that was, would have been uh, tw more than 25 years ago. We just continued to stay in touch. I kept going up to Canada to help teach that thing. And then uh, as when we started the, the IEW, Institute for Excellence in Writing, uh, we continued to work together on some projects. And now he is 92. And I just went up to Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada about three months ago to stay with him for a few days. And... He gave me a critique of what I'm doing right and what I could do better. Still, after all these years. Still, after all these years. <laughs> Why did you call IEW IEW? Oh, now that is an interesting question. It's a great question, Savannah. You have no idea how great a question that I'm, is. I'm not sure very many people know this. <laughs> so after I left college in America and went to Japan for three years— and I graduated from the Talent Education Institute in Japan. Then I went to a place in Philadelphia called the Institute for the Achievement of Human Potential, IAHP. And uh, they 
uh, we're working with uh, brain-injured children, teaching families programs of treatment to help children who might have very mild brain injury or Down syndrome or perhaps blind or deaf or paralyzed, you know, every everything. Uh, and uh, they also had a school there had uh, not so brain injured children that were um, getting the same kind of enrichment, neurological growth enrichment uh, programs and were doing very well. And I worked in both aspects of this with the brain injured children and with the accelerated children. So in Philadelphia, there was the Institutes, plural, for the Achievement of Human Potential. And it had three branches. One branch was the Institute for the Achievement of Physical Excellence. The next one was the Institute for the Achievement of uh, Intellectual Excellence. And the third one was the Institute for the Achievement of Physiological Excellence. And so these three groups of staff would help families help their children grow physically, intellectually, and, and health-wise, health physiologically. So I left there, went to Montana, met Dr. Webster, and got the idea to start, start this thing. And I thought, well, that's what I want. I want to be the Institute for the Achievement of Writing Excellence. Only that's a mouthful. And I think your wife helped you shorten that a little bit. Possibly. Mm -hmm. We dropped the achievement business. Mm -hmm. So we had the Institute for the Achievement of Excellence in Writing. So that's where it came from, the culture uh, of the IAHP where I worked for three years. And uh, it is a little confusing to people because IEW, Institute for excellence in writing. But people shorten it up and they go, excellence in writing. So that's E-I-W if you put the I with the N. So people are very confused. Is it I-E-W or E-I-W? Well, it's I-E-W. It's I-E-W. It's I-E-W.com. That is the way it will be. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> forever. <laughs> yes. Long story. <laughs> uh, why do you tell jokes? Oh, ah, good question. Well, I have always enjoyed um, humor. Uh, as a teenager, I liked jokes and I liked watching funny movies. And I just kind of always had this appreciation for, for humor. I, I think it's a, a thing that makes life better was you can – laugh at something and chuckle. And uh, in Japan, it was very interesting because I was learning Japanese. And so one of the ways that I would try to improve my Japanese is I would try to learn jokes in Japanese because they usually have kind of a, a double meaning or a pun or a, a seek, you know, kind of a under the surface thing. And so I found it connected with my learning of the language. And then when I started to teach, I realized that a lot of students aren't necessarily happy about having to get up early and go through the cold Montana snow and sit in a classroom and have to do 
grammar and spelling at 8.30 in the morning. So, you know, you, you have compassion because you don't want to be there doing that either. But, you know, you get paid and they have to. So, you know, it's school. Uh, so I just kind of thought, I'll bring in a good joke every morning. And that way, you know, everyone will be just a little bit less miserable. <laughs> and so uh, it came, it just became a habit. I actually have a talk you might like to listen to sometime. It's called Humor in Teaching and Speaking. So about seven, eight years ago, I decided to research humor. What makes something funny? I mean, why do we laugh at something? I was curious. So I started to research humor and different types of humor. And I believe there's also research about laughter and humor uh, helping people be more attentive, helping them um, actually be healthier. There's some research to show that the more you laugh, the the healthier you are. It strengthens your immune system, I guess. <laughs> so if you want to be healthy, attend a writing class with Mr. Poudois. Right? Well, <laughs> yes, you? maybe. But now I have a question for you. I mean, do you like my jokes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you be disappointed if I if I just said, sorry, no joke today? Probably. We're just going to jump in and make outlines and do dress-ups. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I have developed quite a collection mm -hmm. over time. Uh, the good thing is, is you know, kids grow up and leave and then you get new kids. So you can use the same jokes for decades. <laughs> About how many ties do you have? Oh, that's a good question. I haven't counted, but I would suspect... Uh, somewhere between 50 and 70, maybe. Some of them I don't like, so I never wear them, so I should just get rid of them. Uh, but as you've noticed, I do try to wear a different tie each week. So that means that gradually I have to collect up some ties. <laughs> and then sometimes my friends and relatives, they see some kind of thematic tie, like one with writing on it or one with music notes or something, you know, and they go, oh, that's for him. Question so, marks. Question marks for <laughs> asking questions. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the day I wore the question mark? I think tie? I do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to count. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe do that someday when I have nothing better to do. I'll count my ties and let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever wear a bow tie? Well, bow ties are problematic because they are very difficult to tie if you don't know how. And I have never learned how, and I'm not sure that I want to know how. And if you don't know how to tie a real bow tie, then you have to wear one of those fake ties that <laughs> clips on, which is what I wore when I was a waiter as a, in restaurants as a teenager. But that's just like drinking decaffeinated coffee or something. It's just... <laughs> too not real. Uh, plus, I'll tell you the other advantage of ties is if you are drinking coffee and you drip a little bit of coffee onto your tie, it's not quite as obvious as if you drip it straight onto your shirt. <laughs> so a longer tie is better protection against careless eating or drinking. <laughs> so maybe Savannah, he's just wearing a fancy bib every week, huh? It's <laughs> possible. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't, I don't think I will ever wear a bow tie, but I'll never say never, 
because I have said never <laughs> to many things and then ended up doing them. Do you have any pets? Thankfully, no. <laughs> um, I I had pets as a child. I had a kangaroo rat mm. uh, named Alice, mm -hmm. a canary-winged BB named Johann Sebastian Bach, or maybe it was just Johann Sebastian. I wasn't say that. I don't know if I named <laughs> as him if Bach. that's short it was just enough. Jo Johann Sebastian, <laughs> and then we had a dog, a German Shepherd named Heidi. Uh, so growing up, I had pets. And then when I got married and we had children, my wife convinced me that having animals is good for children. So we had various cats and dogs. Fortunately, they all die eventually. Uh, and you then, well, it's not so fortunate because then you have to get a new one, which is generally younger and more energetic and more problematic than the old one that and was almost yeah. dead. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've gone through a few, and I will admit that upon deep philosophical reflection, I have come to believe that yes, pets may be good for children, um, but they are completely not necessary for my well-being. So now <laughs> that I have no children at home, I have no pets at home, <laughs> although my wife started talking the other day about a cute little kitty she oh, saw. Oh, my no, goodness. No, no, no. <laughs> Maybe that's, that will be a nice change, perhaps. I don't know. What's your favorite color? Oh, purple. Yes, <laughs> definitely. There's no ambiguity there. And I think that purple is my favorite color. Because, because you love eggplant. No, no. Egg, <laughs> eggplant, is, eggplant doesn't deserve to be purple. Um, but, but in my mind, blue is a color of power and strength. And red, pink and red, is a color of, of love and passion. And so when you get your strength and your love and you mix it together – Right? Mm -hmm. Blue and pink gives you purple. So for me, in my mind, purple is not just the color of kings. It's the color of the balance between power and compassion. I what? love that. I love that. <laughs> and I really don't like orange. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite uh, food? <sighs> My favorite food, well, uh, you know, talking kind of generally, I think uh, Indian, East Indian food. I like spicy foods. Uh, so Asian and Indian, Thai, yeah, they cook with a lot of hot peppers and curries and vindaloos and things like that. And I'm much more partial towards hot or bitter than I am towards sweet, so I don't I don't generally eat sweet foods much. And um, texture is also very important to me. I like chewy foods. Chewy as opposed to crunchy? Yeah, chewy as opposed to crunchy or slimy. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you like avocados. Yes, avocados. Yeah, they don't – well, yeah, I don't know. That's Only interesting. spicy guac. I, I wouldn't call them – Slimy. Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's just the high oil content. Mm. What's your favorite food? 
Fried chicken. Fried chicken. Okay. Very good. Well, I am quite sure, Andrew, our listeners are really going to enjoy this podcast. Savannah, you had excellent questions. I've got to ask you, did you get help writing those? No. Wow, you came up with all, all those on your own. But but now you have to divide all that information into three topics. That's right. This is a unit seven. And so. it's a five-paragraph assignment. Right. So she's got to have the attention getter. I'm curious what that'll be. Mm-hmm. She's got to have the background information. I think you got some of that. Uh, you didn't ask me how many children I have. Seven, all grown. She didn't ask me how many grandchildren I have. Eleven. Not all grown. Not all grown. None <laughs> of them are grown. And uh, so she got some background information mm-hmm. and then topics. Mm-hmm. So it'll, I'll be fascinated to see how this comes out, Savannah. And Thank Savannah, you. if you're okay with this, if you're okay with this, we'll include a file of your essay so people can read it when they listen to this podcast. Is that okay? Can we yeah. do that? Okay, great. She's Here such you. a good sport. Good <laughs> sport. Thank you, Savannah, so much. This has been tremendous. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.